my guest today is Nate Singer, the managing director of Mission Holdings and an old friend from UC Berkeley. Nate, welcome to the show. Thanks, Blake. Great to be here. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you and I know each other. Sure thing. So my name is Nate Singer. Um, I'm 39 years old, father of two kids, husband to one wife. Um, I live in Oakland, California. Uh, Blake, we met when we were students at UC Berkeley. Uh, you took uh, an education class that I had created. We then ran an education class, an education organization. Um, I went on to the business world. You went on to the world of education. And I have uh, watched and cheered you on um, as you have uh, uh, created an awesome set of programs um, and things, including this podcast. Great summary. And just to add my little perspective here, you are the guy who got me into, you kind of launched me, planted the seed, launched me into the direction of the whole critical education theory, alternative education, alternative schools thing. And and that was at Berkeley. And we're going to come back to that moment. But I want to start by asking you more about your own upbringing and schooling and education. How did you even get to the point of being the guy leading some sort of you know, this was a, a student-led course on on creating educational television. How did you get to the point of, of even being who you were at age twenty at Berkeley? Yeah, it was um, <clears throat> not. It, it it wasn't a hundred percent of a happy course leading up to that. So if I think about. Uh, my childhood up through the end of through the end of high school, um, there's a, a few chapters. Chapter one lasted until the end of second grade, so that's very short. So until I was seven years old, I went to a Montessori school, um, and that was a fantastic experience. It was a dream. I was, you know, I mean, whatever. I was a kid, but then my family uprooted itself. My dad had gotten a job and so we had to move. Um, I was going to a public school and so that chapter... Where is this just for context? Yeah, sure. So I I initially grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Then we moved upstate to, to Rochester, New York. And there was just a huge cultural difference. And I f- like this whole school culture was different attitudes towards learning were different. And it, I, you know, as an eight year old, that was, you know, this is a kind of a traumatic experience for me in retrospect. Okay. Going into third grade standard public school in Rochester. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, so I, I eventually I was fortunate enough to get into, um, uh, a boarding school and, my dad didn't really want me to go because I mean, that's kind of a weird thing to go to boarding school, but I was starting to get destructive and I was really bored in school. And so my mom and dad were a little bit desperate to try and find some other option. And so I went to a boarding school and, and that was starting at what grade? Yeah. Starting ninth grade. Okay. So for high school. And, and, and just to dwell for a moment on like third grade through eighth grade, was that like you were bored, but you could perform well in school. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I was doing well in school. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the, yeah, I, 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 I was, um, probably, you know, I was more interested in learning than most of the other people there. I don't know why. Um, but 
yeah, I was in terms of academic performance, you wouldn't have probably thought that I was like suffering some form of like emotional trauma, but in retrospect, it definitely was. Um, and, uh, boarding school was a higher quality of education, but it was even almost even worse for me emotionally. Cause I also didn't have the support of my parents. Um, I, uh, you know, you had to wear a coat and tie to class, which my dad was an artist. I mean, it was a complete opposite, um, of kind of the, the, the cultural direction almost that I, that I, that I probably would have wanted to go. Um, and, uh, that was, that was a tough, that was a tough, um, uh, chapter as well for me. Um, still did well enough in school. And again, you wouldn't have noticed, you would have thought, oh, well, he's just kind of a moody teenager. And you know what? Maybe that's what happens for maybe teenagers, the teenage years are just traumatic for everybody. But for me, what I noticed is it was just increasing boredom, withdrawal, um, you know, not really, um, yeah, not really wanting to engage and not feeling encouraged. I didn't have people who I felt like were mentors who really cared about me. Um, and I think the big catalyst that kind of knocked me off of that, like kind of pushed me off of that course was when I, you know, applying to colleges, I got rejected from UC Berkeley, which is where we met. So how did I get in? Um, I so, somehow I had the self-confidence, you know, at age 17 after getting a rejection letter to appeal. And so I sent a whole bunch of documents to this impersonal admissions office. UC Berkeley's admissions is not like, oh, the warm and fuzzy experience. It's like a machine. And, uh, I don't know, a couple months later, I got a fat acceptance letter um, in the mail, but, and that was just a hard chance. Like you will not, for me personally, that is the number one turning point where I decided, okay, second chance, I'm going to live my life on my own terms. I'm going to do this. And so from that point forward, you know, when I joined that class of 7,000, I was almost certainly the most, like, one of the most motivated people in like coming in in the school at that point, I knew what I wanted to do. I had, uh, you know, I tracked everything, my diet, my happiness, my sleep, you know, daily, you know, I tracked my time to fifth within 15 minutes. And, um, I read the textbooks for the classes a semester ahead. <clears throat> that was, you know, in retrospect, that was like an un, like academically an unstoppable combination. And so I ended up graduating top of our class. It was, um, uh, you know, that was a big, it was a big, a big change for me. And you went in to study math. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. Why? Why math? <clears throat> I felt like if I went and did um, something in the sciences, I would be held back by the lab, by, 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 you know, not having lab space, you know, or if I did other things, I would be held back by somebody else's judgment of if they liked my writing or not. But it, you know, math felt like it would be a pure meritocracy. It's like, if you figure out the problem, you're right. And so I could just focus my energy 100% on that and knew that, um, you know, that was, it was, it was up to, it was up to me and as hard as I could possibly try. And it was super hard. I wasn't actually, I definitely wasn't the, the smartest math student at Berkeley, but I was playing a different, you know, I was playing a game. I was playing a different game. Everybody else was just trying to do their, their, their work. I, I had, I had a very, very clear objective. Can you just make that crystal clear for me? 
yeah, it was like, I, what I, so what I noticed was with something like math, right? It's real hard, right? It's like <clears throat> the first time you read the book, it's makes no sense at all. Right. And so I, I noticed that most people just stop there and then they take the test. And if they fail the test or if they get a C on the test, then they think they're dumb. Right. Well, it's like, I would have gotten a C on the test the first time too. Right. Like, but uh, by the time that we had the test, I'd read that textbook three times. And so I realized it took three times before something became intuitive. First was exposure. So you're learning the terms, you're learning the concepts. Second is a little bit of practice, kind of playing with it. And then the third time, you're like, okay, I actually get it. And so I just realized that's what I needed to learn. The school wasn't telling me that that's how you needed to learn. They were just bucketing people between smart and stupid like that that's not right there's you know that's that's not that's not um you know there was never uh any any training about how to actually learn math it's crazy okay so you're a very dedicated math student at berkeley but somehow you end up developing some more like liberal arts type uh, broader humanistic interest in education. Where did that germinate? No, I mean, I was pretty one-dimensional for the first like year and a half because I was determined to, 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 to win and not have that episode of kind of revisiting, um, you know, feeling like I was being held back, right? I was super determined. Um, uh, but I remember as like my, my, my second semester of my second year, so, you know, whatever, the my second semester of my sophomore year. I was sitting in class and the teacher was just droning on and on. And I remember thinking to myself, there has got to be a better use of my time and a better way of learning this stuff. And I looked to my left, I looked to my right, and you know, the kids seemed to like be paying attention and they were taking notes. But I knew just based on my experience thus far that I was gonna be probably one of the top students in that class and so i wondered like are you guys actually learning how can you possibly be learning this guy is making no sense this is not a good learning experience one of the absolute worst classes i had at berkeley i i think was uh, a calculus or linear algebra class in which the geriatric professor was reading from his own textbook it, like he was just showing up this guy. Oh did no! Not this guy care. was this guy was excited. Oh, oh, you had a passionate teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, no. This was, I think, just more broad. To me, this was a little bit of a broader thing of like, you know, the students to the left and the right were just afraid. Like they weren't speaking up. You know, I wanted to get up and be like, guys, there's got to be a better way. Can we just find the best teacher of this subject in the world and like get some videos and then talk about the videos together and form some kind of like a really tight learning community? But you know, they were just too afraid. Nobody would. People aren't going to go for that. They, they, that would risk them getting a lower grade on the test, right? It was this whole sequence of incentives that took the actual learning out of, you know, this has happened throughout high school. So I kind of knew what, you know, it happens throughout school. Everybody's just so focused on the test because they're so afraid of what happens if they don't. And so I actually got up and I, and I left the classroom. And like after that, you know, I saw, I mean, I still took some classes afterwards, but it was all just, it was all a very, very different, um, with a very different mentality. 
Um, and that's when I started doing the education thing. And I thought I, I, I did a lot of reflection um, around like, why are people not more motivated to really get to the core of like, are we actually learning this? Are we actually understanding? Why are we moving forward if we didn't understand the last thing? Um, so, you know, I thought people, there's no educational television. This is, this is this kind of convoluted thought that I had, which is probably, you know, it's actually played out in a really cool way in the last 20 years. Um, but it was this, this, this thought of like, if we could just have some educational television options, then maybe at least for the people who are interested in learning, like, you know, there'll be an option and for the people who aren't interested maybe they'll accidentally flip over to that to that channel and they'll start like learning stuff because everything on tv almost everything 99 point something percent of the stuff on tv is just it's entertainment but that meant that the like you know you weren't able to get exposed to the best quality learning now that was before youtube right that was before khan academy that was before all that stuff and so, you know, fortunately, a lot of a lot of kind of what I, you know, kind of envisioned in this kind of initial foray into education, you know, somewhat actually materialized, which is really cool, which is really cool. But, you know, as a result, I looked into like how, you know, how can I create a class, you know, in educational television and try and create that. And it was destined to fail. I had never started an organization before. I didn't really know what I was doing um, and uh, trying to get airtime over the traditional networks is like totally to, that that would that that was going to be really challenging but that's where we met and pretty quickly um yeah a lot of a lot of a lot of things you know transpired <laughs> after that yeah and and, and we met uh, because you had created a class for other undergraduates through this very unique program at berkeley called decal democratic education at cal cal is code name for berkeley and I signed up for this. I, I cannot tell you why I, I signed up for this. I, I always had some like light interest in education. I was, you know, actually, I do know why. Because that was the same semester that I was taking quantum mechanics and linear algebra. And I was thinking like, oh, crap. You know, an astrophysics major is real. And I've just been kind of scratching the surface. Now I'm getting into the real stuff. And maybe I should become a high school science teacher. And so I saw, I was looking through the decal catalog and I, I believe I found your course and it seemed interesting and I signed up. And I, if I remember correctly, we spent maybe the first few weeks talking about what it would take to create educational television or commercials or interstitials. And then very quickly, we just started talking about education, broadly speaking. And you decided to buy everyone a copy of John Taylor Gatto's book, A Different Kind of Teacher. And we kind of used that as, as a ad hoc uh, <laughs> cur curriculum to, to discuss education. Am I getting this right? Yeah, no, there was, you know, for, for everybody who hasn't read it, it should be, you know, mandatory reading, almost, the, A Different Kind of Teacher by John Taylor Gatto. And because, at least for me, you know, what you had is you had a guy who had been an award-winning teacher, the quick two-minute, you know, two-second summary, He'd been an award-winning teacher in New York, and basically the book was his kind of almost like confessional or, you know, turning point where he said, yeah, I'm sorry, kids, I let all of you down. I was the best teacher in the school, in New York City, one of the best teachers in New York City. 
And yet I was not, I was doing everybody a disservice by not, you know, being, being true to what I actually think is the right way of learning. And it kind of cemented, you know, in my mind, you know, this would have been a suspicion, which was like, this whole school system is not actually designed to have us learn as well as possible. There's some other forces at work and I don't know what those are, but first I'm going to try and take care of like me and the people around me to just understand what the heck is going on. How did we all end up so demotivated and in this weird cycle of feeling we had to prepare for the test? Then once you take the test, then you prepare for the next test. Versus, like, is the content that we're learning in school going to be useful? Why is it going to be useful? Are you sure? Okay. How do we learn it as well as possible? Can we form a team so that we really make sure that everybody is learning as well as possible? And then what are we going to do with that knowledge? How can we go at our own pace and the things that we actually find interesting? How do we get the questions? You know, the best education is motivated by questions. And yet you start a class and it's like, okay, class, open up to page five and we're going to learn. That's not how any learning really takes place. It's some really important fundamental question that then like makes it so that you pay attention as like as somebody's you know either explaining like how's it here's how it works it's because you're really motivated you really want to understand it right because these are fundamental important questions right and that you know like how do we make sure that we live like a healthy life how do we make sure that we you know can you know Whatever the whatever the problem is that we're trying to solve, and there's a million serious social problems, like and, for some and, reason. And going all the way down to how do I unclog, you know, this specific brand of toilet in my house? Exactly. Like, like a question or a need. Exactly. Which is, is very practical for yourself. I mean, there's like all around us, there's so many, so many interesting things. You know, you look at like the outlet. Well, it's like, okay. Why is it that you're going to get shocked if you touch that, you know, like, like if you, if you, if you, you know, stick two metal things in, like how, how does it actually work? That's at least a little bit more interesting than, okay, class, we're going to learn about ohms and volts, right? I mean, just that you, you, you approach it via questions versus this kind of top down, you know, like mandatory curriculum imposed by the state. And I, I feel like I get how it all evolved but it certainly is not the best way of learning. And so, you know, this was the exploration that, you know, that instead of going and creating educational television, which I, you know, pretty quickly realized, oh, that's going to be hard because none of us knows how to do any of this and we have a semester, um, you know, it kind of went into an exploration of all of our past, you know, our, our, you know, and kind of like, whoa, how did we all end up here as, you know, 19, 20 year olds? Um, like totally unoptimized educational experience, but we got to like one of the best universities. So how is it like that we got like, like kind of like we did such a good job jumping over all the hurdles, but what, what do we have to actually show for it? Does any of us actually understand like how to apply calculus to like our lives? How does that make us better people other than we got a's on or b's on the calculus test i i still can't explain that today and i work with numbers constantly so you know if somebody can tell me why i actually need to learn calculus i'm i'm sure somebody can but like i'm not i'm not going to be convinced <laughs> all right so we could spend a lot of time talking about uh our days at berkeley you um to a large extent and and i to a smaller extent got involved with that organization decal 
and kind of brought it back from the brink of destruction after some controversy. And, and as far as I know, the, the program continues today. And so undergraduates can initiate classes that other undergraduates can enroll in and for pass, no pass credit. So real credit, just not, not letter grades. And, uh, and you and I led this course called Never Taught to Learn, which was kind of a survey of uh, alternative education you know, schools and theories and, and just like a, a broader, more in-depth version of, um, of what we ended up discussing in that uh, educational television course. And I think we had about 70 students. Yeah, we had to open up multiple class sections. I mean, it was like overflow because we were, it it was a fundamental truth. It's just truth. You know, it's like we have what, five people who are going to listen to this podcast because the the word just hasn't gotten out. You know, the fundamental idea of questioning your education is it's so it's painful for people. It's hard. And I think that, you know, I remember like, like, Having like having these classes and just the 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 energy in the classroom of people kind of like doing this introspective analysis on their lives, I I I remember like it like people coming up and being like, whoa, this is like such heavy stuff. It's so transformational to how I'm thinking about how I like where I am in the world. And um yeah, that was it was a really incredible experience running that class. Like there like it definitely felt like we were hitting the hitting a nerve that for some reason, you know, like you kind of like tap it's like back in the 1800s you tapped, you know, a little bit of, you know, into into the into the earth and all of a sudden you have a gusher of oil come shooting up. It was a little bit of that where it was like there's something real here that for some reason nobody's talking about. Um, and so you went on and you kind of made it so that up, up till now, this has been your career has been in education and helping folks kind of develop frameworks for a, how do you question it? And B, what do you do once you start questioning it? Because there's no, it's not like the school system is giving you a roadmap for like, how do you actually learn? And, um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been so happy to see you kind of go down that path. And this podcast interview is about you, Nate. And so where did you take this this interest and this experience in in thinking critically about education and school and how people learn uh, the work that you did with with decal, which is a, a, a form of empowerment of of self directed kind of more autonomous learning among college students? I mean, you were pretty deep into this, and and then tell us about your trajectory moving forward from from undergraduate from your math degree. What happened next? You know, there were there were um, a couple a couple things. I, you know, fundamentally, the whole approach to education was and the, was one of the individual can helping the individual to connect themselves to the tools and resources that they needed, but it very much centered around an assumption of like a motivated individual, right? If you're not motivated, you're just waiting for somebody else to tell you what to do. If that's who you are, I don't know. I can't, I, I, I don't know what to do for you, right? Like I just couldn't figure that one out. And so I was trying to think, you know, there was no like unschooled adventures company that I could go work for, at least not that I was aware of at that point in time. And I also... You know, this there was a little bit of like a, just, just like my, my motivation was like because I wanted to learn faster, right? And I wanted to learn because I wanted to be able to experience the world and I wanted to be able to make an impact. And so I realized like, 
do I want to make $50,000 a year as a teacher and have like a pretty limited amount of impact? For me, that felt like that was going to be, that would be limiting my experiences in other ways. And I also wanted to get a better understanding for like, what are the economic forces that make it so that schools, you know, like there's got to be a reason why like schools are a symptom of a broader something. And I don't really understand what it is, but there's all these cultural forces, political forces, you know, historical forces that make it so that the school system is what it is. But then you also look around and you see most people just go through the motions of they show up at their jobs, they go home, you know, they eat unhealthy food, they watch TV. And that's kind of like there's there, there's a lot of other, you know, attributes to to life and to the broader culture that I felt like I kind of, if you want to make an impact in education, you kind of got to understand the broader picture. Um, and so it was partially motivated by my desire to be able to travel and have resources and kind of do whatever I wanted to do. Um, as well as like, I don't know how to make an impact. This thing feels way bigger than me. So first let's just study, you know, how does this world work? Right. And I thought that maybe I'll make a whole bunch of money, you know, donate it to go and create a school, you know, when I'm 40. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's that's always easier in concept than in practice. Um, you know, I haven't gotten to that point. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens um, in the world. But I yeah, so I went to um, I, I went into the business world. Um, I taught myself uh, finance. Um, ended up joining uh, one of the you know largest, most successful hedge funds just because I wanted to see inside the belly of the capitalist beast, and I did. And it was cool. Like like you learn a lot. It was hyper competitive. Um, ended up creating my own hedge fund. Um, ended up after that joining forces with a super wealthy entrepreneur investor um, and applied this whole idea of never being taught to learn to the business world actually very successfully um, so far. Yeah, please dwell on that. Please, do, you know. Yeah, sure. So, you know, it's funny in the, like in the, the investment world is like, a, there's a, it's a, um, you know, if you think about like these big investment firms, you have people who by and large went to top tier universities have done everything right up until, you know, up until that point, but none of them actually, you know, were again, they weren't taught to learn. And so what I, what I saw right away was that the opportunity at that point was people just don't understand, like your job is to get connected to like the best quality people who understand things as well as possible. And so I just went, I went right. Most people went left and that resulted in like a pretty decent career in the investment world. Um, as well as, you know, what's definitely become, you know, my best investment, which is centered around connecting investors, um, venture from venture capital to hedge funds, to private equity, which are a few different classes of, you know, people in, in the investment world. Um, as well as people who are, you know, senior executives and corporate strategy departments and stuff with much better quality knowledge about what's going on in different companies. And, you know, within, you know, less than five years, the company ends up being worth billions of dollars. I mean, it's crazy. It's like, I didn't participate in, in, in much, like in that much of that, um, uh, from a, 
you know, it's not like I all of a sudden made billions of dollars on, on this on this investment, but it was so fundamental of like a paradigm um, towards thinking about like, oh yeah, like how do we learn as well as possible? I don't know. It's kind of amazing. Like, like why don't we just ask that question for a little bit? So you've told me stories over the years about the kind of learning and research that you've done as, as part of being an investor. And, and it's always seemed very motivating to you that you need to learn about very disparate topics, usually very quickly. You need to, to find the, the smartest people, the most trustworthy people to, to kind of fill you in on these broad categories. You were down in, just to choose one very visual example in my memory, you were down in Brazil learning about sugarcane. And, you know, of course, this is never something you you imagine yourself getting into, like uh, deeply understanding sugar industry in, in, in Brazil. Can, can you just give me a, a few examples of like the kind of, of research and learning you've had to do in this uh in this highly competitive investing world where everyone's trying to just have a little bit of an information edge uh, over everyone else so that so they can make the smart investments i'll just i'll just summarize like the key learning okay because like you know we'll over over the course of like now like 15 years like study a lot of different and a lot of different industries um the key insight was, you know, that I realized when I was in college that I've applied every day of my professional life and will continue, you know, in in the future because it's just true, which is the best quality knowledge is inside people's heads. I'll say it again. The best quality knowledge is inside people's heads. And yet, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to, you know, access it, you know, like form conclusions off of you know, like, re, at least in the in the investment world, it was very financials oriented. So people would, you know, congratulate themselves for building highly complicated financial models. Meanwhile, I would just go and try and find most knowledgeable people on these different companies and try and get them to talk to me, do whatever I could to get them to talk to me. And so like my number one piece of advice is like, if you want to learn something, A, you know, read like as many books as you can, because you have to get up the curve somehow. But then become an expert in using LinkedIn, <laughs> like use LinkedIn a lot and like upgrade your account, pay a thousand dollars and then in-mail as many people as possible with like well-structured kind of like things that have, you know, with well-structured like, hey, I'd love to talk to you like with like um, with a compelling hook so that they actually reply and you, you won't get a hundred percent response rate. You might get a 10% response rate. So what? What did it cost you? It cost like it didn't cost you that much to send like an in-mail request and just become an expert at getting people like to, you know, to being able to engage with and find the best experts. And if you can develop some form of a relationship and you can come back to them, they'll point you in the in the right way and you'll just get catapulted up to, you know, what I consider to be like the edge of knowledge of human knowledge on things it's not that it doesn't take that long to get there it's amazing you know it's the little bit of not a little bit you know kind of like with a few months of work you can quickly get to the point where after you talk to people you're like wait a minute none of these people actually really know the answer and then you know you're at the edge I, please just one concrete example of, of like something you knew nothing about and then by connecting by sending a bunch of cold emails and LinkedIn messages to experts and authorities, within a few months, you found yourself on the leading edge 
of knowledge and awareness of a certain industry or a certain practice. I, I would just love to, to feel something tangible here. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll give you just a, a random example of, of a public company that we are, you know, one of the top 10 or top 20 investors in. Okay. I can't, I'm not, I won't give you the name because it's not, it's just distracting. It's not worth, you know, the name. Um, we, encountered a company that was growing seemed to be you know having a way of um you know it's profitable growing not a particularly expensive stock um uh and so most people would kind of say okay like you know i don't know that much about the company it's not a very big company but what do we do so we went and we talked with 20 people we talked to former employees, we talked to customers, we tried to find some competitors, and universally, the feedback was from former employees, this company is very well run. What they're doing makes a lot of sense. That, in for a small company, was clearly not understood, because there just wasn't much published information about this company. And so you go and talk to people who like understand and can say, hey, you know, here's why these guys are so great. Well, they operate in this small in this niche where they're a leader and they are able to sell more of their products to their customers because once you have the first product, the second product is so much easier to sell. And then the third product is so much easier to sell. So then they would buy a company and sell that company's products into their customers. And it was working. All of the mechanisms for why it was working is way beyond the scope of this conversation. But you just never get that level of insight when you just look at, you know, the words and the financials on paper, right? Like once you've talked to 20 people and you hear like a pretty consistent message, it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's, who knew, right? And so like, you know, over the course of three or four years later, you make multiples of your money and there it is. And you did, right? And so like, that's the whole trick. That's the trick. Right? And so the whole idea was very much centered around like, this is all people focused, whatever it is, even if the most, in the most financial, like, or the most data intensive thing, it's like, no, you just find the people and like, you know, they'll help you connect the dots, right? Like, and if they, and if they don't, then you know that you're close to the edge, <laughs> right? If you can't find people, it's like, whoa, nobody actually knows. Well, maybe there's something there to it. So it's a suit. It's, it, you know, for a guy who studied math, you know, that actually turns out to be like way more people centric of an effort than, uh, you know, like who, who would think that, you know, finance was like just actually all about people, but it is. So I want to try to map everything you've just been talking about in the last 15 years of work that you've done back onto the, the world of education and, and your current beliefs about education in school. So just to get things started, the skill that you were just describing, which is the ability to reach out and ask a smart question and be genuinely interested and uh, to keep going when you get no response or a negative response nine out of ten times. I mean, that's a skill that is clearly never taught to anyone under the age of 18, or perhaps even in college. I don't know about business school. You did go to business school. Um, 
and this is clearly a, a foundational skill for you. This has been a foundational skill for me also. I don't know how foundational it is for, for a, a nurse who's, uh, you know, showing up and, and, and working in a hospital every day. Maybe it's foundational, you know, when, when that nurse wants to, to pivot into a, a different position as a sort of general life skill. Um, so, yeah, roll with this, Nate. You see where I'm going here. Yeah, so, you know, the what are the, the way of learning a language like ideally is to be in the country where they speak the language, right? It's like all about the people that you're able to be around, right? So if you're a nurse or if you want to be a nurse, it's not like you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I need to be a nurse, right? It's this suspicion that you're not 100% happy with where you are right now and you're not quite sure what to do and you kind of want to help people and most people, the dream never even starts to um, like starts to be starts like it doesn't start to get created. So then the ten percent of people who actually have it to the point where they're where they want to apply to nursing school, why did that happen? Well, because they talked to somebody who was a nurse and it sounded like a good job, right? So like ninety percent of people probably never really even have the conversation with somebody who's a nurse or read some articles online. Yeah, they read some articles, but if you've talked to somebody, it's way more real. It's way more real, right? Well, it turns out that like the key skill is like, you know, or the key, you know, piece of luck is like, you know, it's about the community. It's about who are you able to be surrounded by? Maybe not physically. Again, like I've met 0.1% of the people in person, you know, that I deal with in, in, in my daily thing. It's like the phone, people I may never talk to again, but that skill of being able to get through to people and just talk to talk to a lot of people that's it's skill it's motivation it's rejection it's hard you gotta you don't have to actually get off your butt but proverbially you kind of got to get off your butt and like make you know be you know have a lot of proactive outreach because the world isn't like the world isn't gonna come unless i don't know anybody where like the world actually comes to them you know you're in your room good job. Nobody's like knocking on your door, right? Like opportunities don't come to you. They do in Hollywood movies. It's a lovely story. If it was only true. Yeah. Yeah. It's not how it works. Yeah. 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 It's not how it works. You know, like the people were like, who, who, who are, you know, the entrepreneurs who are successful, like, their level of engagement and kind of like effort to get things going, it's so hard. It's, but that's, they're used to it, right? So if you expect that things are going to be hard, you put on your helmet and you go, you, you make it happen, right? You just have to have this expectation where it's like, it's going to be a little painful. But once you're, it's like going to the, like, if you ever go to the gym, you know, it's lifting weights is painful. I don't really enjoy it personally. But like, if you know that it's going to be painful and you're like, no, because that's what it takes to, get stronger then yeah cool but you just have to have that conviction so hopefully you know for folks who are you know who are who are listening but i'm sure that the people who are listening already know this you know it's this this idea of you have to have you have to have some degree of conviction that if you go and do something uncomfortable that you will like it's the the current sacrifice that will have the longer term payoff 
And for most people, that's just too hard. And so that's why they're just like, just tell me what to do. Because I just don't, like, I don't have conviction that if I go and make X sacrifice, that Y will happen, you know, as a result. Um, but, you know, really with respect to, you know, like to me, this gets to like, what is the core purpose of education and what, and, and what is, what is the, what are the educational systems really missing, right? To me, the whole point of education is like, or the whole point of going through a learning process, a dedicated time period where you are dedicating yourself to personal development, personal and professional development is to be able to form, to learn how to form and achieve a vision and period learn how to form and achieve a vision. And I don't know how to get somebody to do that, <laughs> but that's like the core, the core objective, a vision that is strong enough so that you are pulled forward. So that you just can't help yourself because you have to solve it. You have to figure it out. And then a thousand things become relevant. Everything becomes relevant. Oh my God, I can't believe that this was so important. I didn't even realize how, like that that was also important and that's important and all the puzzle pieces start to fit together and you know that's what gives you that 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 extra energy to you know put in a hundred times more you know focused like you're a hundred times more productive when you have something that's pulling you versus you know trying to push wait, yourself. Wait, when you say vision is that a synonym for interest or curiosity or is it something bigger than that i think it's something bigger than that oh. i think it's something bigger than that because interest is kind of like a whatever i mean I'm interested in flowers, like flowers, like they're interesting, like they look pretty, right? Like look at how intricate they are, but that's not like what's going to get me to like wake up at 6am and like go and do stuff that otherwise would be painful. It's not painful. You know, when Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, was like working out at the gym, you know, for six hours, it's not like he was thinking the whole time, man, this is so painful. No, it was the vision of I want to be the best bodybuilder or whatever, you know, it is whatever his motivation was. And so every rep was him getting closer to his goal, right? Like he doesn't even think about the pain. You know, it's like he described it as like, you know, in, 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 uh, and I'll paraphrase it, you know, as like every time that he does a, a bicep curl, it's like euphoria because he's getting closer to this like unstoppable vision, right? The vision is something that you have, you're so set and you have a sense for where it's like, okay, if, and you don't even have to necessarily get there, but that's what motivates you to get off your butt and leave your room and start making things happen. Does it need to be something concrete, like a, a tangible, measurable goal? Uh, or can it be a, a feeling like a state of emotion like, right, I feel crappy right now, and my vision is to just feel radiantly healthy or to feel super engaged. Is is that enough? Yeah. Um, For you. Just talk about you. Don't, don't yeah, worry about generalizing. Yeah, sure thing. So, for me, the you know, the, the, the vision that I, that, that, that I was, you know, that I was kind of working with was a, I really, I was, I had a, a deep curiosity at one point. It wasn't, it wasn't like the most important thing, but it was a super, super strong curiosity where it was like, what is it that makes the stock market go up and down? Like I, I really, I, I know that some people get it and 
if I can understand that, then I will be able to solve a large, like I will be able to work towards a larger vision, which is actually goes back to this education thing, right? So the education thing was, I really want to be able to create a school that will help that will real that where, where kids can go at their own pace and have a ton of support and be able to be their best selves. Right. And so somehow in my convoluted kind of logic, it was like, okay, we'll just get a whole bunch of resources so that nobody can stop you from doing it. Right. And so the vision was, well, first and, and understand well enough how the world works so that, uh, you're not going to be wrong. You're not going to be wrong. You're not going to be like, okay, well, actually, we created something that's destructive for those, all those kids, right? So that vision was this, you know, this 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 feeling of like this unsettled, like society could be much better if some, you know, you know, if there was some structures that certainly don't exist. So is this feeling of like, uh, like uh, I didn't have, a, I don't have a, I have, I have, a, I have a thesis, I have a theory for how it can be best, um, you know, for how that, you know, for how that problem can be solved, but an open-mindedness to recognize I'm, I'm probably wrong, but whatever, I'm definitely like, like that's way better than just sitting here in the room. I know that that's a real serious problem, right? So it's this idea of there's a really important problem that needs to be solved. And then I think that if I go in this direction, I'll be moving forward. I'll be moving in the right direction towards solving it. And then being open to feedback a little bit where it's like, okay, maybe I have to take a right-hand turn along the way, but now I'm moving fast. Now I'm going 100 miles an hour versus kind of just being stagnant. Let's bring our, our feet down to the ground here. And if you were an evil genie prevented you from, from ever working in finance or investment again and, and said, you must now dedicate the next 20 years of your life to the realm of education and school. And P.S., here's $5 million. Good luck, Nate. Um, you know, g g give me something concrete here. Are, are there any models of, of schools or programs out there that you find highly inspiring that you'd want to mimic? What's the first direction you would take, practically speaking? You know, I don't, I don't know if it's like the most, I, I don't know if it's like, pra, I don't know if there's like a practical outcome, you know, pra, like, okay, like, if I had 5 million bucks to go and to go and create some kind of like educational thing, for me, historically, it's been okay, I want to be able to create a center, where people who are super motivated can go and get the support and the mentorship and, you know, be plugged into a network um, of, you know, people who will welcome them with open arms, right? That would be, that would be an ideal thing for me. Um, but you know, it's, that's, that's an idea, an ideal, right? It's a lot more like, no, I have a four-year-old and I have a two-year-old. How will I get them the best education that I can? That is a way harder problem because that's reality, right? So how do I get it so that my, you know, my four-year-old Oslo, who has a very strong personality, who really kind of doesn't really want to listen to me, will be able to be as engaged of a person and can, you know, have, you know, live up to his potential and be a good person and all of that. Those are that that's the hard problem, right? That's like, you know, how do you like what 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 do you do for your kids? Right? What do you do for your kids to make it so that cuz you have to work Right? Like, it's not like we can quit our jobs, right? We have to, like, like, we have to, we have to work. So, 
you know, it's so interesting. A lot of that is the mentorship of trying to help to connect them to people who are both going to be able to resonate with them on an emotional level. You know, emotional support is super important, you know, and just having them know that you're there for them. Um, And then when they do have curiosities, like helping them to helping to, to connect them to resources because most kids are stuck at home because they can't drive or they don't have the money to, you know, invest in even the most basic things like books. Right. So one thing that when I um, entered that I loved about entering the investment world, you know, my, 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 my first boss who I currently work for again was he said, Hey, go and buy whatever books you want off of Amazon. You have an unlimited budget on books. And for me, that was like, oh my God, how is that possible? And he's like, it's a few thousand bucks that you'll spend on books. I don't care. That's a drop in the bucket. Like, just learn as fast as you possibly can. Um, and so I think that, you know, maybe the, you know, what I'll probably replicate for my kids is like the unlimited Amazon book gift certificate. Because how much do you spend on a book? 20 bucks? How much do you spend on a class? $2,000? You know, it's such a high return on investment type of thing. Um, and, you know, the other is just making sure that we're in a, in a, in a, in a, to the degree possible that we're in a, you know, in a community of folks where, you know, the other parents are also supportive of their kids and those types of things, right? Like you, like that community, the, the vibrancy and who are my kids' friends? Like, who are your friends? Are they taking them down a path which leads to them, you know, like doing a bunch of drugs and kind of like rejecting, contributing to society because of their frustrations? Or can they channel their frustrations towards a view of society can be improved, right? And that's, it's super hard to pick your, it's really hard to pick your friends. You know, those, that is really hard to pick your communities. It's not like you can uproot yourself. Like you sell all your furniture and move to a new house. Like that's really challenging. So I, I, I don't, I, I don't know practically as a parent, you know, like it's really easy to have these kind of like high flying, you know, concepts for, you know, for education. But when you get down to it, um, you know, these are the, 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 these are the challenges that I feel like I'm facing for the first time. You know, like I can create, like I can create these, like a vision of like, how do you do this amazing education? One thing that I would definitely do, and this is a sales pitch for you, Blake, but not really. Like, I think that these unschooled adventures things are awesome, you know, but I don't know, like, what do you do? You know, what do you do for your kids when they're not doing the unschooled adventures? You know, I, I, I don't deal with that <laughs> arena. No, no. I mean, I mean, I've, I've written books about this. Uh, I have some ideas, but of course I lack the primary experience base of being a parent myself. Yeah. I, I mean, how do you, to me, my number one thing that I, that I come back to, and partially this is my bias of being a business person. So I think everybody should learn about business. But what I appreciate about entrepreneurship as a field is if you are successful as an entrepreneur, then you have the resources to hire people who are good and you can learn faster together. So you can create your learning community. It's focused around how do we do this thing as well as possible. And if you actually believe in the, in the, in the contribution that your company is providing to the world 
then you uh, then you are going to make an impact. Like then, like if you actually believe that you're making a positive impact, and you're successful with it, then that's a that gives a that that's a ton of um uh like gives a lot of self worth. Like it's a really really positive thing. Plus, society rewards you with the resources, right? Like one of the problems with education is society doesn't reward you financially. It doesn't say, okay, here's way more resources, right? Like here's more, here's like, like let's do it. Even let's, you know, congratulations. Thank you. Go take an all expenses paid trip to, you know, to wherever you want, go see the world, right? Like it's for some reason, unfortunately the education thing doesn't provide like there's no, there's no form of, of, financial payment and it's nice to get paid so i what i like about the you know entrepreneurship training and all of that around kind of like how do you find product market fit how do you assess your competition what is profit how do you make sure that all of those things to me it's like just trying to start a company is such a has such a wide ranging set of challenges and you deal with other people and you have to be a leader so I think that that challenge of starting a company in and of itself is such a great training ground. And, you know, worst case scenario, you learn a little bit more about how to be financially independent. So I think that business training, entrepreneurship training is like a great place to start. What's the best entrepreneurship training or, or business training program or experience or you know anything that's organized that, that you've run into or is this really all just organic like you, you find a good mentor and, and they've started their own business and they inspire you and coach you does it have to be that small scale do you think this can be done systematically what i what i've seen you know is a if you can be with other people who are all putting your heads together it helps you to it helps you to get further so trying to connect yourself to or to organizations joining us joining a startup as like an unpaid intern as like hey can i just watch and i'll even just get you guys coffee just so you can see and hear you know what's the, what the conversations are that going on you know setting up literally like a lemonade stand i mean just start set up a lemonade stand genuinely watch you will get no sales maybe you'll get two people then think about it the next day and be like, okay, how do I get three sales? How do I get four sales? Like genuinely try to set up a lemonade stand and see what happens and try and grow that thing. That's your challenge. That's your challenge for the next six months. Generate $10,000 of revenue off of like selling lemonade. You know? Maybe the more modern version of this is uh, you know, open an Etsy shop or... You know, some, a lot of people want to sell stuff online. Because then you'll learn about online marketing. I, I, you know, like you learn about online marketing. You'll learn about like how do you present your, you know, the photos. And all of a sudden, all of this other stuff around like optimizing your Etsy shop, that becomes relevant. And don't make that your permanent career. You know, 99% chance don't make that your permanent career. Because re go into it recognizing it'll probably be your third or fourth company. That actually is the one that works. Everything else is, you know, kind of is is training, you know. But that's okay. Just go and you know, just 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 do it. But I find that you know the feedback that the market gives you of like, are they buying the stuff? Are you making profit? 
you know, that I, I found is just gives you a way faster course of learning. And then you're not, a, you're not reliant on teachers, right? So many entrepreneurs, like all these entrepreneurs, like, what do we learn in business school? Okay, what did I learn at Harvard Business School? Almost like genuinely almost nothing. What I got was a network. That was, that was what I paid for, right? I got the network. That's cool. That's hard to replicate. But the actual learning of something in business school, it's like, oh, if only I could attend the best MBA program, then I'd learn all the special secrets. No, 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 no. That's not, you know, what you actually learn is like when you try, right? We created um, a credit card terminal for the iPhone. Okay. Like, Who's we? We was my, my best, one of my best friends from college and a guy he knew, right? The guy he knew, it was his idea and we just tried to help and we were somewhat successful. We weren't 100% successful. But that was like the first, one of the first like kind of real entrepreneurial things that I was a part of where we were generating like real revenue. And um, that process resulted in us going to like Las Vegas to the CES conference to see what was at the forefront of technology stuff. All of these things became relevant. And it wasn't like we had to ask for permission. We could have started that and been 12 years old. Nobody knew. You know, there was never, there, you know, it was just this concept of like, okay, like try and develop something, particularly in software. What's cool about software is you don't need, you don't, it's again, it's like for me, I studied math because I didn't want to be held back by a lack of lab space. Well, software and kind of engineering software, you can learn that as a 10 year old. You can learn that as a 15 year old. You can learn that as a 20 year old. That barrier, like all that information is available on YouTube, on Coursera, like all of these. When I talk to people who are professional software developers, I say, where did you learn this stuff? It's amazing. Like people who are like making millions of dollars. It's like, oh, yeah, I learned on Coursera. It's like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Really? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like, I don't know. I figured it out. Right. And so this, but this idea of, um, you know, again, it's like, what is pulling you forward? You need something that's pulling you forward. And at first it should probably be very half baked. Like for, for us, you know, for me, it was, I want to create some educational television thing because like, it seems like that's going to be like, that would be a great, no, that was impossible. Right. That was impossible. And it wasn't going to get off the ground. At least for me at that point in time, it was impossible. Um, but by doing it and by making some forward progress, all of a sudden I met this guy, Blake, you know, and I met a number of other people with that whole, you know, you know, and so then that momentum started moving forward. Right. And so it's really, it's like the vision on the one hand is like, I want to be able to make a big impact to society. Maybe that's just your vision, right? Like, that's just like, I, like, I, I feel strongly that I want to make an impact. That's where you kind of have to, you know, maybe you have to start or it's like, I really want to make it so that, you know, you know, immigrants get more legal support, you know, in their process, because I had this experience with somebody where they, you know, got kicked out of the country and they got separated from their family or some crazy thing like that. And then you just kind of pull the string and you see, you see where it goes and like, okay, how do I make an impact? How do I make an impact? The stronger that you believe in it, you know, the more effort you'll pull and you'll, you know, like the, the longer you'll go without seeing any payoff for that work because you're just like, no, I need to figure this out. And so getting connected to that, no, I need to figure this out. No, get out of my way. I'm going to figure this out. That's um, like that kind of motivation is the motivation. I think that results in the best quality learning. 
so let's return to the topic of your kids. You have a two-year-old and a four-year-old right now. Their four-year-old is about to enter the the wild world of uh, kindergarten uh, formal education. Oh. <laughs> yeah. you, you've just eloquently spoken on, on like the importance of, of nurturing this entrepreneurial, uh, self-directed mindset and approach towards life. This you know, fundamentally an attitude is what I'm hearing you uh, describe. And what is your, your, your game plan right now for, for nurturing that beyond whatever your, you know, genetically personality traits that have been passed on to your children? What's your plan for, for nurturing that in your own kids? You know what I, what I was thinking about, um, was when I, like when I get home and again, you got to create the time here, right? It's like working, working an intense professional thing to keep the roof over your heads makes it so that it's hard as a parent to also then have the time to help your kids to get these experiences. But I kind of actually want to do like the lemonade stand or try and sell pizzas right outside our door and have it so that, you know, maybe my four-year-old doesn't think about things in terms of, um, you know, money is such a weird abstract thing. Seriously, how is how are they going to be excited about money? How is anybody excited about money? Well, it's what money can actually buy but if i translate that into you know um, reese's peanut butter cups at the end of the day where it's like hey that dollar is going to buy you 10 reese's peanut butter cups. you're speaking to me right now I'm a big fan of reese's peanut butter i cups mean it's here. so good yeah, it's so good right? truly um <clears throat> you know then you know, okay, so maybe we sell slices of pizza to the community and we see people smile because the pizzas, you know, are pizza. Everybody loves pizza, right? And so as long as we don't make really bad pizza and we sell it for a buck, people are going to be happy. Pizza doesn't cost anything, right? So like, let's just see what happens. And like, then as a result, then there's going to, you know, there's a level of kind of engagement around like, oh yeah, I can make people happy in my community and they will thank me with smiles and Reese's peanut butter cups. Amazing. Now we've got, you know, now things are moving forward. Well, maybe not, we don't just sell pizzas. Maybe we also sell hamburgers or vegan burgers, whatever it is, you know, because we live in the Bay Area, people, you know, maybe respond better to vegan burgers because it's a different thing. Who knows? But getting them, you know, being able to get engaged with small scale, you know, in small scale ways where you can get positive feedback from others for the contribution that you've made. Um, uh, I think that's a constructive, that's a constructive thing to do. And, you know, I don't know if he's at four, if he'll, if he'll stick around, but maybe he will, you know, you have to try, right. And then you keep trying. And the other thing is, you know, it's like, if it all of a sudden, if all becomes, if it's all about just selling pizza and your kid is miserable, oh, you fail. <laughs> like, then that's bad, right? See, so emotionally supporting your kids, number one, is super important and kind of just like seeing where they're at. Um, but creating these like little opportunities for them to, you know, witness, you know, in this case, entrepreneurship, or it might be other community involvement. It may be taking your kids to a soup kitchen or something and kind of just like seeing the smiles on people's faces. We as humans are like programmed to be our happiest when we make other people happy. Right. And so giving your kids those opportunities to say, okay, we did this. And we got paid, you really get paid in smiles, you know? And so just like whatever you can do to show your kids, how do you generate smiles from other people? 
that I think is like a huge motivator. I like that. And I can see where John Taylor Gatto has influenced both of us uh, in this regard, or, or at least brought out something that perhaps was already there. Um, okay, last question for you. you. You spoke earlier about the, the importance of, of community, about being surrounded by other parents and kids who seem to have um, similar values to you. What, what is your experience with the parenting culture of the San Francisco Bay Area? Been like you live in the, the East Bay in Oakland. And uh, uh, <laughs> just tell me about your experience. I, I don't want to make any other uh, assumptions here. Yeah, I mean, we've been we've been fortunate to, um, uh, you know, just by my, mostly my wife, because she's a very extroverted person, you know, makes friends relatively easily. So we have some very close friends. We've also experienced a level of just anxiety, you know, among uh, parents that has, you know, and kind of fear and this view of, oh, my God, like, how do we get our kid into the best XYZ school and this fight for such limited resources, right? We've been wanting to try and get our four-year-old doing a gymnastics program and it's booked up, super booked up. And we're not that good at forward planning because we're so busy in our lives. And so as a result, our four-year-old has never been to a gymnastics class and that's been a super bummer, right? But there's, I think that, you know, it's... um it's always really challenging to get your kids plugged into like those communities that you, you know, that you know will be supportive for them because it's just reality of life. Um, and uh, the barrier for us has been a mix of, wow, you're surrounded by a lot of things, but it's a competitive, competitive place. And, you know, that's honestly, it's been kind of a bummer in some ways. And it's made it so that we've tried to think of like, okay, is there a better, is there a better place? Um, I don't know. I mean, a lot of, I, I, there's no utopia. There's no utopia, right? I, I, I spend a lot of time trying to be idealistic and, you know, reading books like called like utopia, right? <laughs> and, um, there's, uh, there's, you know, the conclusion is, you know, the only way to create a great life is like whatever you got, really try and make the best of that and have a positive disposition, right? Like that, you know, so I, I don't know, wherever we, wherever you are, um, ideally you have similar, probably like, it's kind of helpful to have similar values as the people around you. Um, just makes it so that conversation is easier. People will support people if there's like a little bit more of a cultural resonance. So we have that with our community to some degree. But, um, you know, there's just the reality of parenting is hard. Like you have to keep the roof over your kids' heads and everywhere is, feels expensive. You know, California feels expensive, but people make more money, right? Everywhere feels expensive. Life is hard. You have to have that as just a kind of like, kind of recognize like for most people life is hard and they're just trying to keep their head above water and treat your community with comp compassion around that um uh and try and be a leader and because people will gravitate towards that over time where you know if you really are trying to create value for others they may not pay you back anywhere close to how much you put in and if you feel bad about that if you have animosity towards that then you got a problem because you know over time hopefully more and more people recognize it. And so I think that we're, you know, where we're at, um, you know, with wherever we are 
is, um, you know, how do we, how do we give more to the community? You know, not necessarily expect to give back, but you know, just how do we give and contribute to try and create the community that we wish that we saw and that, that you can do anywhere. Nate, thank you for the conversation and thank you for, uh, tipping me off down this, this path so well, long ago. Like, you know, I'm so, I've been so happy to, to watch it and great to participate in the podcast and, um, yeah, keep it up. You're doing awesome, awesome work. So I will happy, be happy to cheer you on. Thank you. All right. Bye.